Welcome to the CBIA BizCast, powered by Google. I'm your host, Allie Warshavsky, and today on our podcast, we are at Bishop's Orchard, and we've got Keith Bishop with us, and you know, you can see behind us, we're in front of a wine bar, behind it, really, and it's just become so much more than an orchard, but we want to go back all the way to the days when it was, let me see, 1871, and I have on our notes. I don't think you had movie and trivia nights then, correct? Nope, it was a much simpler uh, style of life here in Guilford back in 1871. So uh, welcome here at Alley to Bishop Orchards, and uh, we're pleased to have you here. I'm the fifth generation of our family business, so I grew up in the business and around it and decided after my college years to come back into the business and have been here ever since. Our beginnings go back to actually 1639 in Guilford, so... I'm 14 generations removed from the settlers of Guilford who signed the Guilford Covenant, oh. but family situations uh, you know, changed and people moved around and the parcel of land that is the farm now, or the main part of the farm, was purchased in 1871 and hence our roots to that date. So back in 1871, um, you know, what were you growing on this farm? Not you specifically, obviously, but what was your family growing? Did it start pretty small? Well. Most of the farms at that time were substance farms that then supported the family, plus a little bit of other things that they could then barter and trade with other uh, families in the town. So at that point in time, it was um, a little bit of dairy, some vegetables, uh, no trees at that point in time as far as orchards, that was added later on. And then it grew from there as the years went through. That's so interesting because I think of Bishop's Orchard and I think of apple picking season and that's really not how it started. You've definitely had a lot of evolutions and you mentioned that you are fifth generation. Um, you joined the farm as a retail farm market manager in 1977, correct? Yes, I came back in from Cornell with my bachelor's in ag economics in 77 and joined the family farm right after that. When you were growing up and seeing grandparents, great pa- grandparents, maybe cousins on the farm, did you envision this for yourself? Uh, at that point in time, I didn't know what I was going to be destined for. I had other scientific-oriented interests that I uh, majored in in college as well. And it wasn't until my father actually had a back operation during my college years, and I took a couple semesters off to assist here on the farm, that that changed my course by delving into the business more so at that point in time. So that's uh, my start and where I have got to now. And that again was in 1977. We're standing in this beautiful market now. Was a a market type or a market building there at the time or was it more people coming up and picking up from you guys um, orders? How did it look in 1977? Um, it was much different than it is now, obviously. Um, there was a retail component to that that uh, took place and started in the 60s um, with more of a simplified um, walk into uh, where the packing room was, where there was packing apples during the apple season. Uh, there was uh, pick your own strawberries back early in the, uh, um, in the 60s as well. That then morphed into what we're doing today of a series of additions over time. Uh, In 1973, my father opened the market to be full-time year-round, so that was a major change to go from a seasonal one that opened in August with the peach season starting up to go through until about March when the apple season finished of the previous year's apple crop. So truck market gardening was another piece of it, which we drew lettuce, beans, cabbage, tomatoes. Uh, that went to the New Haven Regional Market and were purchased by supermarket buyers 
there um, in the wee hours of the morning and then transported to the uh, regional distribution hubs around and many other farmers did that same thing. Um, for anyone who's watching, you're going to be able to see the footage of the inside of the market. You can't smell it, though, unfortunately. And that's also become a part of your business as well, right? Baking goods with your produce. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of smells that are here in the building. And when you go into one of the apple coolers in particular, then the smells of the apples overwhelm you. Uh, peach season is actually one of the best ones as far as the smell of fresh peaches. Uh, we just added a smoker to our lineup for our kitchen um, this spring. And that then is another smell that's wonderful to have the smoked meats uh, smell cooking. Oh, I bet. And um, I read in a release that you guys sent out that most family businesses don't make it beyond the third generation. And you're actually in your sixth. So you're the fifth, right? But I read that your daughter is also working here. So I have three of my children that are working in the business here with us now. So um, two daughters and one son out of my four children. Um, so I'm proud of what they've continued to uh, accomplish and their commitment here to the business. Uh, in a combination, our um, business mission and, and motto is to enhance and preserve the, the land and the um, operation that we have here for future generations and the current generation to be able to make a healthy living on. And so preserving that for family fun and recreation is part of our mission. And to that end of it, we keep modifying things to do with how um, to react to the market conditions that we're facing, such as COVID, such as dry weather, um, the uh, adaptation of different varieties of fruits and vegetables of what people are looking for, um, what climate change and temperatures are doing to different crops that affect it to a minor degree at this point in time. Yeah, and I want to get back to like some of the biggest issues you've had over the years. But before I do that, I want to know the secret of keeping a family business running because some people can't even sit at the dinner table with their family and let alone you guys are keeping this business open for you know, six generations. You know, what are what do you think is some of the reasons why you guys are so, so successful working as a family? Well, that's where it goes back to the uh, fountain of youth type of question of who can answer that rhetorical question. Uh, I just focus. It's hard work. Um, it's, it's focusing on the goal that you want to take and do it and everybody that's going to be involved in the business that has the opportunity to be involved in the business needs to contribute and buy into what that vision is and work hard at together. As a part of that we've been members of the Center for Family Business at the University of New Haven. Um, we're there for 25 years. COVID disrupted that program. UConn has another similar Center for Family Business. CBIA has uh, partnered with those organizations and have many programs. Uh, those programs over the years have helped to us to understand better about getting along in the family business, the roles, the responsibilities, what you need to do and actually be successful and to plan both from a business standpoint and what your mission, vision and mission statement is going on to the economics of what you need to do in order to run the business, you know, who your customer base, adapting with the times. So there's no short secret answer, but a simple way of looking at it is that those who are involved in the business um, need to be committed to the business, and that needs to be part of your ground rules of getting along to do so.
and open communication. Yeah, I feel like part of it's probably just genetics of, of wanting to be a hard worker that's passed along in your family as well. Um, you know, you, we, you mentioned that, you know, we live in New England. Not only do we have snow, we have heat. We've got um, things that can affect your plants like parasites, et cetera. I mean, there's just so many things that could go wrong. Um, right now, as we record this, we're in the middle of this heat wave. Is this drought really affecting you at all? Uh, absolutely. And uh, it's hard to see what the end, end results is. There's short-term crops that we're growing here now where the yields are down. Um, there's other things that we're watering in order to hopefully get good crop size out of um, tree fruits, for example. So peaches are something that size up in the last week or so before they're, they're harvested. But anything that then is stressed, then it will drop its fruits. So um, you can look at a peach tree and it, the, the leaves start to wilt because they don't have good root penetration, it's a drier area, um, then all of a sudden they'll shed fruit uh, in order to survive. So things like that are happening. We had um, on Friday, was the last time I was making my rounds around the farm, there were seven irrigation pumps that were going pulling water out of the combination of um, our ponds and wells that we have here in order to irrigate. Um, our irrigating technology now compared to what it was growing up, um, we're using a lot of trickle irrigation, which is then uh, tubing um, that is small and it runs um, around the root zones of the plants rather than overhead irrigation sprinklers so it's much more efficient so we're using less water because the water is being delivered right to the root zone where the plants we're not watering all the the grass and everything else uh, around the plants itself so it's definitely affecting us how it will end up being for um, the, the full harvest season going into September and October uh, remains to be seen but it's parched out there right now. And what's, you know, over the past few years, what's one of the worst um, cards you've been dealt? Maybe it was, I know we've had a couple of hurricanes swing by here or um, snowstorms, although I'm sure that these plants are underground during the winter, so may hopefully not much affect the snow. Um, or was it COVID? I mean, I'm sure COVID played an impact on your business, but what's one of, one of the toughest things to recover from? I mean, Natural disasters that are caused by, by wind and hurricanes are probably the absolute hardest to take and recover from where there's more widespread damage and you're out of control from what you can do to, to stop anything from happening. So we've had uh, Irene and Sandy, uh, Gloria, um, other storms that you know go back in dates have caused various damage. We've had apple trees that have been blown over. Um, newly planted trees that don't have the root system developed yet, so the wind comes along, it pushes the trees over, um, it breaks the roots at the bottom and the base, and, and the trees then either can't recover or they're, um, they're so stressed out that they take many years to recover. It takes about uh, five years to six years for an apple tree to start producing enough fruit to pay for itself. So from a net present value standpoint, we're planting apple trees um, in year zero and it's year five to six that when we're actually getting enough apples to start to pay back all the expenses of prepping the land, planting them, taking care of them, and going through that piece of it. So when damage happens to those, then that's a major setback of many years for your investment recovery. I did not know that. Um, five years of work gone down the drain, unfortunately. Well, fingers crossed um, we don't have another major wind event. But let's talk about COVID. You know, this is a job you can't work from home. Um, how has that been in terms of affecting your labor? You know, have you had a harder time finding people who want to come in if they, a lot of people are opting for work from home jobs now? Uh, 
reflect that like you know, most CEOs and business leaders, then the employment situation is really tough right now to find enough of the right type of help. Um, we are okay at the moment, but our end of the summer into the fall season is when we get even busier. And we've got a substantial number of college students uh, who came back to us during COVID and were not living at college and came back and we rehired. They actually augmented our busier seasons. We stepped up and adapted. My daughter, Sarah and Carrie, stepped up to the plate big time. We adapted for curbside pickup um, and online ordering. Um, that happened within a matter of uh, less than two weeks after COVID started that we opened that program up, uh, continued to improve it, and we uh, did big time with that in order for us to survive. If we didn't have that, people staying at home, we would have been um, a very much different place. Uh, but back on the impact of employment, we're seeing significant wage increases to cover, so margins are much tighter to try and make those ends meet. Um, with trying to be fair to our customers. Supply chain issues still exist of what there is for shortages. Um, in the pie manufacturing business, starch is in short supply. So other farm markets and um, ones that are making pies uh, to do that are very, finding it very, very tough to find enough raw ingredients uh, on the starch side of it in order to make the doughs and the, uh, the filling ingredients for pies. Uh, we, we keep adapting and COVID was the biggest hit and um, our staff really stepped up to the plate. Uh, we went through all the protocols just like everybody else and followed you know, instructions that uh, you know, were given out by CDC and passed on by CBIA and the Connecticut Farm Bureau and others worked with our uh, state and local reps um, on numerous conference calls with um, our national representatives and senators uh, and representatives um, on the agricultural side of it. It hit some agricultural businesses very hard to start with, ferreted through those things. Um, one of my roles, I'm uh, Vice President at Connecticut Farm Bureau. So in that role, I'm active um, paying attention to agriculture and being a spokesman for agriculture, as well as supporting multitude of farm operations in Connecticut from uh, dairy farms, greenhouse, nursery operations, vegetables, um, other livestock and animal operations, as well as fruit and vegetables like we do. Such a tricky uh, business to be in during that time because you're essential, right? People need their food, but it's still so many questions and safety, and you still got to be out there and adapt. And you guys did it well. If you look around, um, it's the market is crowded, which is great to see, especially on a very hot day. Maybe they're all here to get ice cream. But as we've mentioned a couple of times, this is so much more than just the farm that it was when it when um, the first generation landed. We're standing in front of a wine bar. Um, you, know, you guys are hosting all these events. What uh, does a typical weekend look like here? It seems like every weekend has some type of event. Um, that's where our design is to uh, have things that are fun for families to come and do and be a part of. So Pick Your Own has been our mainstay for many, many years. If people come out and pick whatever's in season, we start uh, with strawberries and followed by blueberries, which are now in season, then peaches and apples and pears, and then uh, pumpkins. Uh, the other additions here and sort of COVID pushed us toward it. We had to cancel our wine festival that we used to be having on an annual basis. COVID knocked that out. And to readapt, we took that space and decided we'd be doing weekend events. And we got our entertainment permit from the town. We extended our liquor permit, so we have a craft cafe permit, so we can also sell Connecticut craft beer. So now we're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at our little red barn venue that then offers on Saturdays and Sunday, uh, Fridays and Saturdays, excuse me, uh, 
live entertainment. Um, we're doing trivia night every Thursday night. And then on uh, Sundays, it's a laid back um, background music. Um, the wine bar is there for tastings. Flights of our own wines, as well as flights of beers, are available to uh, enjoy and taste other uh, beverages that people haven't tried that way. Yeah, we were discussing earlier that a lot of these hard ciders are named after relatives, and we got a dog there. Burton, Lillian, those are relatives, though, correct? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the, uh, the hard ciders here, um, I've got four that are in uh, uh, season right now. Uh, two of them are named after former uh, family members. Lillian is a berry blend. It's all made with 100% product that we grow in here on our farm. So that's strawberry, blueberry, and peach uh, added with the apple. And then uh, Crosby is a black currant apple blend, and Crosby is uh, my son's dog. And family member, yeah. Yep, yeah. right. And the other one, Burton, is my great-grandfather, um, who the B.W. Bishop and Sons is named after him as far as the corporate name goes. Uh, and then the other one here, we have is our farmhouse, which is our uh, sort of central leading product there that's the um, most popular for people um, who are used to a hard cider but don't know what else to mm -hmm. pick as far as the other flavor blends. The original cider. So what is your busiest season? In my head, I know nothing about agriculture. I'm always like apple picking season. Is that true or is it blueberries, strawberries, peaches? No busy season? <laughs> our, our busy season builds up to September okay. and in October. So that is our busiest time is September and October. Absolutely. So is that when, and I saw this, um, you know, on your website, you 60 to a seasonal high of closer to 175. So you more than double your employees. And that is between those September and October. When is that double, I guess I should ask? Well, as, as COVID and other changes come into place, we're now up to around 100 as far as our minimum that is taking place over the first quarter of the year. And then we start to build once strawberry picking season comes in in June. Uh, we gradually bid up, and then in September we'll be up uh, around 175 uh, or so, depending upon um, exact crop needs as well as um, you know who's available. Um, yeah. That way, yeah. <laughs> that way. So it, it's plenty of management challenges, and there are uh, family members involved. They say I've got my two daughters um, that are here full time, along with my son is full time on the farm under our farm manager. Uh, my wife is um, pretty much full-time in one capacity or another here uh, behind the scenes and in office duties. Uh, my brother-in-law is a mechanic mm -hmm. and uh, other family members uh, are around here and helping out. My granddaughters who are now 12 and 13 have just started to uh, dabble their hands in helping out and learning how to pick your own side of things. So it's fun to take and see their desire to, to help out and their economic interest to want to have uh, more pocket money yeah. <laughs> and, <so. laughs> and we'll see what happens and when they're double their age maybe they'll be doing these interviews for you right <laughs> so again I'm, I'm very proud of the family and where we've come uh, my cousin and uh, his dad were involved uh, full-time with me up until a couple of years ago when we had a family transfer and, and buyout as the transitions take place in family business um, my father passed away um, five years ago um, and so my mother still is, you know, around to be curious and see what things are going on. But um, uh, th those are important people that have made to get us here. Yeah, absolutely. And the legacy lives on. So what is next for Bishop's Orchards? 
Well, one quick answer is that we need to be financially viable, and just like every other business here, we've got to take and be competitive. We've got to seek you know, and take care of good care of our customers, so they return. Take have good competitive, um, competent staff. Um, appreciate them, so they can be with us. Uh, so we've got more full-time people working for us that then are non-family members to help us face what we adapt and do for our next changes. But you mentioned a couple of them. We've got the entertainment aspect of the business that combines our own wines, our own farm products that we're doing. Our kitchen is um, cooking a lot more stuff so that the food that is available on the nighttime venues, that's cooked by our kitchen staff. So that's another area. And as we grow, we're probably gonna have to adapt our space to add on uh, in a way that then supports the growth of what the kitchen is needed, the agricultural side of it, of how much uh, space is needed for storage processing of the fruits uh, and what is reasonable to be doing in this economic environment, especially farming in Connecticut is much more challenging and has much more cost than farming in other areas of New England or New York. Um, and especially out in the Midwest, other areas of the country. And is that because of just the taxes here or the policies? And what could be changed to make it easier for you to farm? <laughs> Maybe change from one hat to another <laughs> one here and then to get off my horse here. I'm very, very active in you know, government relations and uh, what the impact of regulations uh, do and, and working with legislators. Um, but the, the overhead of what we have to comply with here in Connecticut for the regulation side of it, um, you know, there's environmental things and it's a lot of good, you know, sound policies, but carrying them out uh, as individual businesses costs money. So it's complying, it's following those things, it's adapting to the new stuff, what uh, number of uh, you know, people are required to make sure you're on target with that. As your workforce grows, you've got more um, HR issues <laughs> to be facing. So uh, those things are not unique in the United States, but on the other hand, for, for agriculture, those are more significant costs in this area of the country than they are in other more rural states that have are growing our food supply. Uh, transportation costs are up. Uh, the hut tax that has been implemented that we are actively work with CBIA to try and have them understand that our culture um, is going to be hit extremely hard by that and where that should not affect our culture in the way that it uh, is anticipated. Um, you know, the increases in diesel tax um, recently and the nine cent increase there. Um, all of our tractors essentially are running on diesel. So we're paying that, you know, extra tax that is um, that's passed through on um, that that level, so there's increased cost. Um, so it's pl plenty of challenges to uh, continue to meet. But as I tell many people, uh, we just can't pick up our business and decide to move out of state to another state that's bidding for us to come and with X number of workers to bring jobs down to the Carolinas or to Texas or to someplace else to cheaper. Um, we can't pull up our 300 acres of farmland yeah. and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and lose that investment. And we're not about having that land go into some other alternative use. Um, our desire here is to continue to farm for generations ahead on the 300 plus acres that we do control. And that's what everyone wants to hear. I mean, this is a big part of the community. So we wanna see eight, nine, 10 generations here. So we are unique in that regard and it does take hard work. 
and uh, you know working with other people that that have that vision and can support us is much appreciated. There's lots of people that will be hearing this. That, uh, a shout out and thank you to uh, to all those folks that we've worked with over the years and will continue to do so. Well, Keith, thank you so much for joining us. This has been very educational, selfishly about the pies and everything that you make here and also just about how hard it can be to just run a business in Connecticut. Absolutely. So it's great to have you here and I appreciate the opportunity to share this information with your listeners and viewers. We'll speak to you again. We'll definitely do an update. And thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. And if you want to listen to more of our podcasts, you can do so on SoundCloud, Apple, and visit CBIA.com for more.